title of the sermon is actually, I'm Not Enough, and It's Okay. So many times we get stuck on that first part. And where this really got to me, and this could be hard for me to speak today, is we went to the national convention back at the end of May. And I want to preface this by saying it was a great convention. I learned a lot. There was a lot of really good sermons that were in there. But at the same time, there was part of, there was a stirring in me that I struggled with. And I couldn't put my handle on exactly what it was. And it was kind of funny. You know you're in trouble when you hear somebody say they're going to speak on a particular topic and you think, ah, that doesn't apply to me. That's what happened on Monday, or I think it was Monday morning. This guy named, I think his name is Phil McNelly. I apologize if, you, if I butchered his name. But the point being, it was on calling versus significance. And I thought, that shouldn't be an issue at all. I like to be in the back. I like to be out of sight. I, this doesn't apply to me at all. That lasted about five minutes. And all of a sudden, I realized there was part of his message that was hitting right at me. And I was like, I had no idea that was there. And where it was hitting me at was, you know, the, those who have had conversations with me before, and when he's... he's when he talks about this whole pastor thing, those that know me and had to have, this has been a journey for the last couple of years, and I've struggled with accepting that role, okay? And so there's part of me that doesn't want to look like other pastors, and I don't mean any, anything wrong with that. But at the same time, there's a part of me that wants to be separate from them, but here's what came out in that sermon was I wanted to be accepted by them. And the question came to me was, what are you willing to sacrifice to get validated by them rather than be validated by me? And it was kind of like, wow, I wasn't expecting that. And this, this, so that happened. And then the next message happened. And the next message happened. And every time that we would go to these different messages, like I say, they were really good messages, I can have a very critical spirit about myself. And I would sit there, and I'd sit there, okay, did I meet the mark? No, not quite. Or, you know, and I'd kind of level where I thought I was at. And I was struggling. And we go to this last class. It's a EHS class. And we took this class four years ago. And I thought, hey, at least this one I'll get right, you know. Or I should be pretty good at this one. Let's just say you can probably figure out where that class went. <laughs> it was like, okay, I haven't learned anything in four years. What's wrong with me? <laughs> and, and I was in this kind of a funk for a couple of weeks, and it was like, well, what's going on, God? What are you doing? And we go to the graduation last Friday, and we're on our way back. My wife thinks, hey, I want to listen to this song. I said, okay. So she pops in this CD, and... Uh, it's a song called I Am Listening. Coming soon to a sanctuary near you. Um, the, uh, in a way, there's a stanza in it that says this. I don't want to miss one word you speak because everything you say to me is life. It's life to me. I don't want to miss one word you speak. Quiet my heart. I'm listening. We played it a couple of times in the car. It had the same effect on me in the car. It was like, okay. And I just really felt that God wanted to speak to me. So I got up early on Saturday morning and went out on the deck. And I 
put the rest of the album on and put my headset in, and I listened to it. And I started journaling. And it was a really good time. It was something that, that God showed me some things of how I view myself. And so I'm, I'm sitting there listening to this, and there was part of me that I saw myself as not enough. Not as a man, not as a husband, not as a father, and certainly not as a pastor. There was, I sat there and I had graded myself, and I didn't realize how much that was affecting me adversely to allow God to use me the way that he wanted to. The problem isn't with the conclusion that I came up with that I'm not enough. The problem comes in, what do you do with it once you decide that? And part of, of, of that is you can do things to help yourself. You can educate yourself. You know, I, I use the term work, work smarter, not harder, okay? There are, you know, learn from your mistakes. But that does not replace God's wisdom or his guidance. And you have to be aware of that. I mean, I was reminded that even this week. I tell myself. Um, I took and we got some new signposts back here for the handicap signs. And there was something in me that said, go look at the front signs before you put them in. And then there was a memory that popped up that, no, I know how to put these in because I remember the bolts were inside the U-channel, so I know which way they have to face. And so I put these posts in, got them all nice and straight. Curtis came out and helped me. It was a great time. And then I got the bolts out. And the bolts weren't made to go that way. The bolts were made to go with the sign posts facing the other way. And it was like, but this is the way it came out. And sometimes when we're in life, we look at the way things we see other people do them. We look at the way we see the way it's always been done before. And we can get hung up on this is the way it is. I know what God's going to speak to me, and I don't even ask. And so we actually pulled the signpost back out and put them back the way they go. Just so anybody's curious. Uh, but my point being is that it was just something that God was reminding me of don't get hung up in the way other people do things. But one of the things that I think we always struggle with when God speaks to you to do something or to say something to somebody or to pray somebody, a lot of times when I talk with people, what I hear is, why me? Why don't you use so-and-so? They're so much better qualified than I am. Why would you want to use me? That makes absolutely no sense. And then we start doing what I did. You start analyzing yourself, and all of a sudden, you sit there and you look at yourself and go, well, I, do, I can't do this, I can't do this, and I can't do this. So you disqualify yourself from the very thing that God's call, calling you to. And that's a dangerous place to be in because you will get stuck there. And that, that, that's something that you have a, a lot of choices um, to do. And a lot of times, we just have a hard time believing that God would actually say that to us. That he would call you to do something that you cannot do on your own. And I think that's one of the bigger problems is we like for God to call us to do things that we can do on our own. But you look all through the scripture, rarely did he call anybody who could do something on their own. He always asked people to go way above whatever they could obviously do. So another thing that we can do 
is we call, I do what I, I'm calling the Google approach this morning. And I'm going to use this book as an example. Okay? So something that God speaks to us and we think, okay, I can figure out what, what it is that he's speaking to me. I'm going to get on Google and I'm going to do a search. And I'm going to be able to fix my problem, my shortcomings. But it'd be like me reading this to you. Collateral circulation. Normally, some arteries branch called collateral circulation exists within the coronary circulation. The growth of collateral circulation is attributed to two factors. The inherited preposition of developed angioblatter. You get the idea. Okay? Sometimes when we are in need of something, we haven't actually studied enough. This is my wife's book. Point being is, she didn't get here in one day. You know, this has to do with nursing. And it's not something that you would expect a nurse to automatically know how to do. So you want them to study. But sometimes spiritually, we don't take the time to study. We want to get that quick fix and be done with it. The other thing that can happen is what I call the Wikipedia approach. You go and you talk to all these different people. And you say, hey, what about this? What about this? And all of a sudden, you get all these varying opinions of how things have been done in the past, and this is the way they need to look like now. And what you miss from that, you're not necessarily even asking God what it is or how that he wants it done. And that's an important thing. I mean, you look at this church the way it was planted. We did not in any way, shape, or form do what is conventional. Okay? That doesn't mean conventional is bad. It just means that wasn't what we were to do. And sometimes we stumble on that when it's not conventional that we think, okay, I'm missing it because it's not conventional. And that's a tough place to be at because all of a sudden you're going against everything that you know. In uh, Philippians 4.13, it talks about, you know, we can do all things through Christ. And sometimes we want to go and grab that scripture and let it stand on its own. But we do it with a head, what I call a head knowledge, not a revelation knowledge. If you don't really, one, believe it, or two, understand what he's talking about through it, that doesn't necessarily help you. I mean, it can comfort you, yes, but it doesn't necessarily get you the, the crux of where you need to go. Paul, I think, is interesting because he realizes that he's not enough. And yet he found comfort, he found peace, and he found confidence in the fact that he wasn't. So the question is, is how do we get there? And I want to stop right there for just a second because I think that when we think we are enough, it ought to be like a railroad sign flashing in the night that says, hey, you're headed in the wrong way, or you've got something coming down the road that you need to be paying attention to. And if you don't pay attention to that crossing sign that's sitting there warning you of an oncoming train, and you try to just go your own path, sometimes that has really bad consequences. So be aware of that. So I want to talk about Moses today. Um, in Exodus 2, it talks about Moses in the early years when he was born. And it was interesting that his mom said there was something special about him. And she takes him, puts him in a basket. There was a decree out by the, by the Pharaoh at the time. 
And he said, all male children that are Hebrew descent have to die. So he told the midwives, you know, if it's a male child, kill it. Well, they didn't do that. But that was what their orders were, okay? So his mom suddenly realized, you know, he's a couple months old and he can't really hide him anymore. So you've got to do something with him. And I'm guessing that God spoke to her because she puts him in a basket in the Nile River. And the Nile River, you know, they have other creatures in there that like small snacks. And <laughs> just saying, it doesn't seem like a good place. If, I, if I'm going to hide my child, putting him in the river floating around out there doesn't seem like a very good idea. But God had a plan. And he, she puts him where the Pharaoh's daughter would go and bathe on a regular basis. And all of a sudden... She accepts him, she likes him, you know, he's cute, he's cuddly, and she takes him home. He's like a little puppy. And, but my point being to that is that he then spends the next many years of his life in the palace, okay? He's part, he sees everything that goes on in the kingdom realm. And while he's not necessarily part of the royal family, there is a part of him that gets to see a lot of things that, that go on around him. I think it's interesting that he goes through, and the next thing that happens you, you see in there is that he talks about that he sees this Israelite getting beaten by an Egyptian. And he thinks, I'm going to help this guy out. when it gets a little out of control, and he actually kills the Egyptian. So then Pharaoh decides that, you know, puts a price on his head, and he's going to kill him. So he flees, and he goes to this other country. And it's interesting, the very next thing that happens is there's a confrontation between him and some other men who are harassing some women. And he takes care of the women, gets them their water and all that stuff. He ends up with a wife out of the deal. So I guess that's a good thing. Yes, wife, wife where she's at? Anyway, it's a good thing. Uh, but anyway, my point being is that's where we're going to pick up his story at. It's interesting to me that David and Moses both were shepherds before they, left, before they led the country. And I think it's interesting because they had to put up with stubborn, dumb animals. And I think it actually prepared them for what they had to put up with as with humans. All right, let's look at Exodus 3. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared at the in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then Mo the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of the Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, Pezites, Hivites, and Jezebites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. 
Now, can you imagine this? You're sitting there and you're talking with this burning bush and you realize that it's God speaking to you. And he's sitting there seeing the same things that you saw while you were in Egypt. And you think, wow, here's somebody can actually help these people. I think there was a heart in Moses early on to help the people. It was something that he couldn't do on his own. And here was a guy that was sitting, you know, God was sitting there saying, hey, I can do this. I've got the power. I've got the authority. I'm going to get it done. And I would imagine that Moses is absolutely on cloud nine. Can you imagine if you have somebody that's in distress in your life and you can't do anything to fix it, and all of a sudden you have contact with somebody who has the power and the ability to take care of it, and they're willing to do so? How would that make you feel? And so I think he's just really, he's, he's going for it. And then we look at the next verse. Now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. And I think it's kind of interesting here that Moses has got to be sitting there thinking, what do you mean? You know, I was doing really good up to this point. Now the game has changed, okay? I want to also go back to the fact that when Moses went up to the bush, God called him Moses, Moses. He didn't say, David, Saul, Joe, who are you? He knew exactly who he was talking to. And I think that's important to note that God knows who he's talking to when he talks to you. He didn't make a mistake when he he sat there and talked to you. And the... I think that Moses just kind of had to do this double take and just sit there and go, you know, what do you mean? And then Moses replies to him in verse 11 here. It says, but Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people out of, of Israel, out of Egypt? And you, you see right there in the very beginning, he's sitting there going, who am I to do this? He understands that he can't just go back into Egypt. You know, he's got basically had a price on his head when he left. So why would you send me to go see the Pharaoh? I don't have the authority. I'm not a statesman that I can go from and represent another nation to Pharaoh. There's no reason the Pharaoh is even going to see me. And I think that there's part of that that he didn't realize that he was representing a nation, but it was the nation of God. And that God was sitting there telling him, I, this is what I'm calling you to be. And then he goes on to say in verse 12, God answered, I will be with you, and this will be your sign that I am the one who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. And I think it's interesting here, and a couple things on that, is one, he's let, he was reassuring him, I'm going to be with you. I, I, I get that one. But then he goes on to say, this is going to be the sign to you that... I'm the one that called you. And I, and I got my attention because it was one of those things where I'm sitting there thinking, well, if I go into Egypt and I bring these people out like you're telling me, isn't that going to be a sign enough? And yet God, I think, had to sit there and tell him and even remind him at times of, that he was the one that called him because God knew what was getting ready to happen. God knew that that not only was he going to lead these people out of Egypt, but he had to get the Egypt out of the people, okay? And that's a big deal. It wasn't like you went and visited somebody for a couple months or a year or so 
This is a group of people, you know, Abraham was prophesied to that he would be there, that these people would be slaves for 400 years. You have a slave mentality when you've been raised that way. You have a culture where you've been indoctrinated into idol worship. And, you've, and everything about them was a hindering what God was calling them to be. And Moses was going to have to deal with that. And I think that's one of the reasons that God told him this was, hey, you're going to need to know that I'm the one that sent you. You may not understand it now, and you might even understand it when you get back here. But if I don't tell you this ahead of time, you're not going to fully understand it when you're going to need to know it. Because he would have to put up with people who were constantly whining and complaining. Okay? They would sit there and, and worship other idols, and they would make mistakes and challenges, and there would be demands on him. But I think there's that, that's a part of it is that sometimes we have to remember who it was that called you. Sorry. So then God gives Moses signs that he's going to perform for Pharaoh and for the, for the people. You know, he tells him to throw down a stick and he throws down the stick and it becomes a snake. And, and then he tells him to, he picks it back up and it becomes a staff again. And then he takes his hand and puts it in his cloak. And he pulls it back out, and one time it's leprosy, and the next time it's clean. Okay, and then he pours some water out, and it becomes blood. And the reason that's important, I think, is sometimes we miss the fact that God actually allowed him to practice a little bit of what he was getting ready to do. And so it wasn't totally foreign to him when God would tell him to do something that he could just follow through with it. All right, let's look at Moses' response, though, and. and 4.10. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, O oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied, and my words get tangled. So he's sitting there, and he's talking to God, and I'm thinking the whole time, he's probably, you know, you're wrong. He's probably really nervous at this point. And there's a challenge that comes with that when you're trying to think on the fly, and I can testify that I struggle with that area myself. And my point to that is he thought that would disqualify him. But God's response to that wasn't that you would think he'd say, okay, you're right. I can't really use you. God's response to that was, let's look at the next one there. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, See or do not see. Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will be with you as you speak. I will instruct you in what to say. And that really sounds, you know, in some ways, if you, if you think about it, it sounds really simple. I mean, it wasn't any longer a request. He wasn't saying, if you feel like it, I'd like for you to do this. He's flat out saying, go. The next part of that in this verse in 12 there. No, it's on 12 is the part that makes me nervous is when he says this. He says, I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. You know, it's two totally different things to sit there and have prepared and be ready to speak. You know, he talked about, you know, on Thursday, I went out and did the signs Thursday morning. I worked a couple hours on this on Thursday afternoon. I actually went and played golf on Friday. I took the day off. I had my Sabbath for those who are counting. Um, but anyway, uh, point being is I came in on Saturday and prepared. Okay? And I remember 
it was kind of interesting. I had this little conversation with God on Thursday afternoon when I was getting ready to leave. And I just told him, I said, I don't want to have to rely on you to speak as I'm speaking. I mean, I still do as we're doing this, but I'd rather have a sermon prepped. I'd like to have my notes in front of me. I like to be prepared. I can't imagine what it'd be like to go to a king of another country and not know exactly what it's like you're going to say. And that God's going to say, well, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to tell you what to say. It'll be all right. I would think that would be a little nerve-wracking. I can, well, let me phrase that. It is. <laughs> um, let's look at 13 there. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send someone else. How many times do we do that in our own lives? We sit there and we see a situation and God puts it on our heart to go speak to somebody. And the first response sometimes is exactly what Moses did. We're looking at 14 through 17. Then Moses became angry with Moses. Or sorry, then the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he speaks well, and look, he is on his way to meet you now, and he will be delighted to see you. Talk to him and put the words in his mouth. I will be with both of you as you speak, and I will instruct you both in what to do. Aaron will be your spokesman to the people. He will be your mouthpiece, and you will stand in the place of God for him. Tell on him what to say, and take your shepherd's staff with you, and use it to perform the miraculous signs. I think it's interesting in, in that it states that God got anger with him. And yet, God didn't kick him in the curb. He didn't vaporize him. He kind of relented, okay? And said, okay, I'll do it this way, knowing it's not the best way. And that Moses would later, I think, in some ways regret that decision, that demand that he put upon him. Because a few months later, his brother would be the one that would lead the people into worshiping an idol. It would cost 3,000 people their lives. And I, th- I wonder how much that weighed. Sorry. Weighed on him. Because he just didn't accept what he was told to do. So the question is, is how do we get to that place where not being enough is okay and doesn't stop us for what he called us to do? And I actually want to go back to what we, what he's, the scripture from last week. And I want to read it out of um, the Message Bible. And it's Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you will recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely in light. And, you know, there's a whole concept of come and spend time with me. You know, I think that... For years, when, I, when I've looked at this scripture before, I thought it was a once and done. That God would come and he would do this miraculous thing and boom, you'd be all better and be all fixed and you could go do whatever he called you to do. And yet when I look at this scripture, that's not really what he says. He says, I'm going to be with you. Come spend time with me. Then you will be able to find the rest. It's interesting that 
I sat there and I went to school to be an aircraft mechanic. Okay? I did two years of schooling. I have an airframe and power plant license. And when I was there, one of my instructors said, now you have to understand that this license that you're going to have doesn't mean you're qualified to go out and work on any type of aircraft. There's going to be additional training that's going to happen. And you need to be open to that and be aware that that's going to happen. Don't think you have it all together to start with. And, you know, I look at my career as an aircraft mechanic, and I went and I worked on aero commanders, and there were systems that, with that aircraft. And then I went and worked in an engine shop and learned how to take engines on and off and how to tear them apart and put them back together. And then I went for U.S. Air, and I was there for years. And, you know, I worked on several different types of airplanes. Each one was different. And I have no problem at all of understanding that I need to learn each of those systems on that aircraft to be able to work on it. But put it in a spiritual set, sense, I don't think I necessarily connected the dots. That, hey, there's work that has to happen to prepare you for what you're getting ready to do. There is things that, that you're going to have to learn along the way. That you're going to make mistakes. You're going to not have everything together all the time. But you're going to learn from them. And it's okay. Just stay with me and we'll work through it. You know, I'm not perfect. But neither are you. And trust me, it's okay. God knows that more than anybody else does. And you just need to be okay with the fact that, that you're not. And not sit there and disqualify yourself when he calls you to. It is a lifetime event when he calls you to do something. It is a lifetime event when he sits there and says, I want to walk with you. I want to teach you along the way. You know, he was talking about the, the, the burdens of the people of Thailand. And the one thing that got my attention was that they carried all this stuff around and that they had to do all this stuff to get the good karma. And with that, how many times do we do that as ourselves, that we take and put burdens on ourselves because this is where God's got us going, and we all of a sudden we start taking the expectations we have of ourselves and we place them on God. And we think those are God's expectations of us, but he never said that. So kind of free yourself up from it. Let him be the one that speaks to you and tells you what, what he wants for you. In Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, it says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on your doorpost of your house and on your gates. And so many times we don't do that. We sit there and we look at a scripture for what we need at that moment. But it's a constant process where we need to remind ourselves over and over again of what the word says. In Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, I'm just going to summarize this one, Andy. It talks about the different parts of the body, okay, and how we all work together. But there's a maturing process that happens. Again, it goes back to allow yourself to grow. Allow others to grow. Sometimes that can be challenging because you think, well, that person should have it all together. They shouldn't have said that to me. 
They're growing just like you are. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, it says this, Even though I have received such a wonderful revelation from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away from me. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So I'm now glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness this is, and insults, hardships, persecution, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. People will notice you when you're not working in your giftings. When they see something that you do that God has spoke for you to do, don't just go do things on your own. But when he seeks something to you and they know that you can't do that, that gets their attention. When we were at the conference, I was talking to a guy. I've known this guy for probably 20 years now. And Pastor Scott came up and started talking. And he told him that I spoke that Sunday before. The guy's mouth fell open. He was sitting down, which is a good thing. His mouth fell open, and not only did it fall open, it stayed open. Okay? I thought we were going to have to have surgery to put it back in place. But the point being is he's known me long enough to know that I can't do what I'm doing right now. He knows that I don't have that ability within me. And my point to that is sometimes we miss that part of what God wants to do with us, that he wants to do things that are out of our scope. He wants to do things that there's no way we can do on our own because it brings him glory. Because people look at it and go, wow, I never saw that one coming. And that, that is a really good thing. In Philippians 4, 11 through 13, it says, it says this, now that I, Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or an empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And sometimes we've got to remember that when God sits there and asks you to do something. When he sits there and tells you to do something, it's through his strength and not your own. In John 15, 5, it says, I can do nothing apart from Christ. And it's talking about being in the vine. And basically, if you go to a plant that's got fruit on it or not, and you cut that vine off, it will never produce. Okay? It just doesn't work that way. We have to remember, we have to be in tune and, 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 and be with Christ. You know, what the world doesn't need is to see another shiny, polished Christian. Sometimes what they need to see is you. All your stuff, your dents, your dings, your tarnishes, that's what they need to see. One of the things that we have to be aware of, if we put on this facade that we've got it all together, people are going to have a very difficult time relating to you. They may not even come to you and tell you where they're struggling because they condemn themselves instead of having that conversation that they need to have. So take off the facades and don't think you have to have it all together before God's going to use you. You know, we were talking earlier about that song that says, I'm listening. We have to be in tune to what God's speaking to us. 
We have to be paying attention. You know, how desperate are you, am I, to listen to every word that God says? That's a big deal. When we sit there and we don't pay attention to what he's speaking to us, when we're not sitting there and just intently leaning on every word that he's speaking, we can get ourselves into trouble. There's another line in there that talks about quiet in a heart. And a lot of times, that's a question we have to ask ourselves. Am I willing to quiet my heart to listen to God? Sometimes we get overrun with everything that's going on in life. And we sit there and don't think we have the time to take the time to be quiet. And yet, that's exactly many times what we need to do. When God speaks to you, he didn't misdial, okay? So many times I think that we easily discount, oh, it must have been the pizza because God would have never said that to me. Don't discount what he's talking to you. And don't forget that he knows exactly who you are. When he called you to do something, he knew the good, the bad, and the ugly, and it's okay. When he asks you to speak to that coworker, that family member, what is your first response? Is it first response like Moses and you protest? I don't, is your first response, I don't speak well, I don't know enough, I can't help them? Or are you willing to go and speak to them? And to listen to him as you speak, put the words in your mouth. Will I be with you be enough? You know, and the question I'm asking is, do you have to be validated by other people? So many times I think we think that we have to get everybody else's approval for what we're doing. And that's a dangerous place to be. Because if you're doing things for other people, then you're not necessarily doing them for what God told you to do or how he told you to do them. We can easily forget that the Holy Spirit, when he prompts us, is going to be there with us. He didn't ask you to go out there and send you on a mission on your own. Remember that he's there with you. Have confidence in the fact that he's there with you. You have a choice to make every time that God speaks to you. You can either say, okay, what do you want me to do? Or you can be like Moses and plead, send somebody else. That's a, and again, but God knew what he was doing when he told you to go speak to that person. There's going to be a way that you relate to that person that nobody else can. You've had experiences in your life that will relate to them. <laughs>